Our scripture passage for this service is Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this beautiful psalm and we ask that you would give us wisdom as we reflect upon it. We ask that you would give us a fresh understanding of what it means to praise you. We ask that the psalmist would lead us in our own journey of worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Part of our mission statement as a church is that we worship God in Jesus Christ. So we have identified worshiping as an important part of what we do as a church. And there's nothing controversial about that. I don't think anyone who tunes in to this online worship service will be shocked that we're actually worshiping. They're not going to be offended that a church is worshiping God. It just is a, a normal thing that Christians do. But there are different ways to go about worshiping. Uh, if we were to visit an Anglican church, that would be different from a Pentecostal church, which would be different from a Quaker church. All of them have different styles, but it really is not about style. It's not style that's important. Of course, we have our own preferences for music and for liturgy and, and whatever, but that's not what is important. What is important are the foundational principles for how we worship. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, when I think about praise, I automatically think of the Psalms, which were the hymn book for the ancient Israelites. And when I think of the Psalms, I think of Psalm 100. If I was asked spontaneously to just read a passage from the Bible that had something to do with praise and with worship, I would just automatically go to Psalm 100. That would be the easy response to go to. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at this passage and not just the beauty of the words, but we're going to try to delve into it and try to get a deeper understanding of what it means to praise God, to find those important foundational principles that can guide us in praising God in whatever circumstance we might be in. Now, for many people, they equate worship and praise with singing. And we're going to see later on in this message that worship is larger than singing, but singing definitely is an important part of worship. Um, I was thinking trying to imagine how many songs since the beginning of the Christian church have been written in praise to God. 
uh, from the most ancient of songs to the, what we would consider the classic hymns to uh, the choruses of the 80s and 90s, uh, the, the newer songs that have been written by the um, big name publishers to individual songwriters. How many songs have been, been written? I don't think that there is any complete list of those songs unless it's on God's heart. People have just naturally been drawn to praise God through singing. When we look at the book of Acts, we see Paul and Silas, after they had been arrested, they're put in jail. And what do they do when they're in jail? They begin to sing hymns. And we're not told what those songs are. We probably have an idea of what a hymn is in our own context, but I suspect they were making up their own hymns in the situation, singing praises to God, despite the situation they were in. Uh, that's not necessarily what you would think would be the most natural when you're in jail to sing hymns to God, but that's indeed what they did. Uh, another example of the ways that people have uh, gone to singing are the, the musical style known as the spirituals. Uh, while many of the hymns that we sing are European in origin, uh, the spirituals, sometimes uh, having been called the, the Negro spirituals, were written and created and born within an American context. And these songs were uh, sung by slaves in the United States as they would take from their African traditions, they would include biblical themes and express their own experience as slaves. They would experience, uh, share their experiences of suffering and their experiences of joy. Uh, an example of that would be Swing Low Sweet Chariot, which draws upon the biblical story of Elijah, but also looks to the Underground Railroad that took escaped slaves uh, from the United States up into Canada, including here in St. Catharines and to a church just a few blocks away from where we are. Uh, singing became a natural part of who they were. I think about people who have experienced dementia and they may have even gotten to the point where they don't recognize their own family members. And yet one of the last things to go for many people, at least those who are raised in the church, are some of their favorite hymns, that those are the things that they are able to hold on to the very end. Singing is important, and it's in a way for us to praise God. The psalmist tells us to shout for joy. Now, are you comfortable shouting? Would you be willing to shout right now? Now, not everyone wants to shout. That's not necessarily their style. And, but the, the focus here is not so much on the volume, but on the reason for it. So it's not so much the shouting, it's the joy. And the, the only reason the person is shouting is because they are filled with joy. There's no uh, special benefit just shouting for shouting's sake. It's about having joy in God. Uh, the psalmist also tells us to worship the Lord in gladness. Now, we have to admit that there are times that we don't feel that. We don't feel those emotions. But joy is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness 
uh, really depends on what is happening. That's where the, the word happiness comes from. It depends on what is happening. It de depends upon your circumstances. Joy is based on something else. It's based upon our relationship with God, on uh, what we know to be the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so we can have joy even in the worst circumstances. And this is an important distinction for us to have. We also need to realize that what is being talked about here is not worship as a religious duty. It's not about uh, forcing us to come into a place and we have to sing these songs because that's what God expects and a good Christian just has to do that. The way the psalmist speaks of praising God is a natural response to the joy that is there, that they feel this incredible love for God and they can't help but singing, and that is what we are called to do. Now, you might be in a place right now where you're struggling to shout for joy. Uh, things are very difficult. Well, if you can whisper for joy, then whisper for joy. Do what you are able to do. Reach down deep and find the joy that is there, joy that is not dependent upon your circumstances and shout for joy or whisper for joy, sing to God out of your love for him and his love for you. Now, as I am sharing this message, uh, we have not been gathered together in the church building singing for some months. And this is something that has uh, bothered many people. We are grieving the fact that we are not able to do that. We would like to come. Uh, I'm sitting here at the organ. Maybe you would love to be hearing that organ going and to, to sing those old hymns that you'd be loving to hear the, the sound of the piano live, not just recorded, but to, to hear it live. And we're not able to do that at this time. And so we are grieving that. And we are eager to return. We want to get back into this building. We want to be able to sing. We want to be able to hear those classic songs. But the reality is that when we do get back into this building, at least for the, the first time after we start, we're not going to be able to sing as a congregation. Because unfortunately, uh, congregational singing is one of the most dangerous activities in terms of sharing the virus and having it passed on. And so for people's safety, we're not going to be able to sing as a congregation for the first while that we come back into the church. And we're going to be grieving that. When we come back, we are going to feel that tension of what we wish we could be doing and what we are able to be doing. And I have been talking to a number of pastors and, and listening to how they are dealing with that. Uh, there are some pastors who have heard the, uh, the recommendation and the guidance that we not do congregational singing because of the danger, and they've said, forget that. We are going to sing. Asking Christians not to worship is like asking fish not to swim. You can't do that. Uh, we are Christians, and so we're going to gather together, and we're going to sing no matter what the health experts say. And some of those churches have then found uh, a third of their congregation coming down with COVID-19. Uh, so that is not necessarily the way to go. I've talked to some other pastors uh, who have said, uh, 
the, the church is made for worship. And if we're not allowed to sing, then there is no point in us gathering together. What's the point of us coming into a building and being physically together if we're not able to sing? We are meant to worship. And if we're not allowed to sing, we might as well just stay at home. Now, those two kinds of pastors are both making the same assumption. They are equating worship with singing, saying that if you can't sing, then you can't worship. And I'm not convinced that that is accurate. In fact, as I look at Psalm 100, I see that there is evidence of other ways of praising God aside from singing. We're not saying that singing is not a good way to worship, but it is not the only way to worship. And the, uh, the psalmist here says something that is kind of surprising for us. He talks about knowing that the Lord is God. Knowing that the Lord is God. Well, what does that have to do with praise? Knowledge? Knowledge and worship? Isn't knowledge the opposite of worship? I have heard many people uh, refer to seminary, uh, the, the place where pastors go to learn theology, they refer to it as cemetery. And the reason they do that is because uh, it's the place where uh, passion for worship and the, the, the zeal for God goes to die and is replaced with theological knowledge. And I'll tell you, as someone who's gone to seminary, that was not the case for me. But that is uh, the assumption that many people have, that knowledge is the opposite of passionate worship, that the more knowledge you get in your head, uh, the, the less you're able to really praise God uh, in, a, in a really deep and, and passionate way. But that's not necessarily what is the truth. And uh, I think about uh, some of the passages that the Apostle Paul has given us in his letters. In Philippians 1 verse 9, he says this, And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Do you hear what Paul is saying there? He's talking about how our love abounds in knowledge and depth of insight. Uh, we've been taught by a, a number of generations of Christians uh, that uh, we should fear knowledge, that we should fear our intellect. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's actually saying Knowledge and depth of insight should be a part of our love, and it can actually increase our love for God. Uh, Paul also says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Here Paul asks us that we would grasp, or as some translations have, to comprehend the love of Christ. And he says that, uh, that we would know this in a way that surpasses knowledge. Not to say that knowledge is bad, because he's talking about knowledge. He's talking about knowing the love of Christ. But what he's saying here that the knowledge that he's comparing to is uh, knowledge that is simply trivia, knowledge that is simply a list of facts. 
there's something beyond that. There's a kind of knowledge that is more than that. Not that uh, secular knowledge is wrong in any way, but there is a knowledge of knowing God, knowing who he is, knowing our relationship with him. And this is a form of worship. Do you realize that you can come into a church building and you can know the love of God. You can know that the Lord is God. Not just that you have a vague belief that it is true, but that you can know that it is true. And that in that knowledge, you are praising God. You may never open your mouth, you may never sing a tune, but you can know those things. And in that knowledge, you are praising God. And you can do that, not just in church building, but you can do that in your home right now or wherever you might be. You can know God, and in that, you can praise him. Then the psalmist moves to what he calls the gates of thanksgiving. And these are the gates that we must enter when we worship God. In fact, is it possible for anyone to praise God without being thankful in some way? I'm not saying that you need to be in a place of abundance where you are just overwhelmed with how many things that you're thankful for. But is it possible to praise without being thankful for anything in your life, without being thankful for anything that God has done? I'm not sure that you can. I think that thanksgiving is indeed the gates of praise. It is the gates that we must come through. And yet I recognize that it is not always easy to feel that thanksgiving. I went through a very dark time before I came to uh, Queen Street Baptist Church uh, approximately six years ago, where things were really difficult, uh, both emotionally and physically for me. And I was challenged at that time to reflect each day on something good that had been happened, to basically uh, be thankful for something that had happened and to identify what that was that was really good. And I will admit to you that there were times in which the only thing I could think of in that day was that I was still breathing. That was the only thing that I could feel thanks for. Yet there were other days in which it was difficult to narrow it down to just one thing because so many good things had happened that day. And why this was important is it helped me to cultivate a attitude of thanksgiving because this is not something that comes natural to us. We naturally will dwell on the things that are wrong around us. We will dwell on the things that we are lacking in the moment. We will dwell on the ways that people have hurt us. And yet we can force ourselves, we can choose to live a life of thanksgiving, to cultivate that awareness, to be aware of the good things that are happening in our lives. Going back to the Apostle Paul, he wrote this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Thanksgiving is essential. It's essential in our prayer life, and it's essential in our praise life as well. And we can be thankful to God without ever singing. We can praise him simply by uh, confessing the things that we're thankful for, to actually take time 
to uh, think about the ways that God has blessed us, whether they are um, explicit answers to prayer or just general blessings that we have experienced. It could be our families. It could be um, the fact that we have food to eat and shelter uh, over us. It could be our church family. It could be anything. But take the time to actually think about that. And as we reflect upon it and identify it and confess that God has indeed blessed us and that we are thankful just by doing that without any hint of a musical instrument or singing a song, we are praising God. We are a worshiping people, not just because our mission statement says that we have to. The mission statement says that we are to worship God and Jesus Christ. That's not why we're a worshiping people. That's simply identifying what is already there. As followers of Jesus, we are created to be a worshiping people. And that includes singing. When we are able, we will sing. We will shout for joy. We will sing for gladness. We will do all of these things. We will sing the old hymns and the new songs, and we will enjoy those aspects of worship when we are able to do that, especially when we're able to do it in a safe way. But in times in which we cannot do that, when uh, health restrictions prevent us to sing in a congregational manner, that does not mean that our worship comes to a standstill. We continue to praise God. We praise God through our knowledge, knowledge that the Lord is God, knowledge that God loves us, that we have a relationship with him, that we are the sheep of his pasture, that he is there caring for us. In that knowledge, we are praising God. We are also praising God by giving thanks. We come through the gates of thanksgiving. We praise him and thank him for all that he has done. We, we look and recognize the ways that he is working in our lives and we give thanks to him. And so yes, uh, we are going to be grieving when we come back into this building that we are not necessarily uh, singing loudly the, the songs that we want to be singing, but we will worship, we will praise God, and we can look at the circumstances in which we have not as a restriction on our worship, but rather an expansion in the ways that we are able to praise God. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are worthy of our worship, and we praise you. God, we ask that you would receive our praise in whatever form it may be given. And we thank you that you will continue to teach us through your word, and that you will help us to cultivate our, our attitude of thanksgiving, and that you would increase us in our knowledge of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.